Hey, everyone, and welcome back to Big Mad True Crime, where we get big mad over true crime. I'm your host, Heather Ashley, and this is part two of the disappearance of Angela Green. Small talk sucks, so let's dive in. Last week, we talked about how Angela met her husband, Jeff, and the lengths they had to go to to be together in the U.S. We talked about their first and only child, their daughter, Ellie, and how Ellie was Angela's entire world. When Ellie went off to college, her mother struggled with the distance, and in June of 2019, Ellie was planning on spending the summer at home getting in some quality mother-daughter time, but the two got into an argument and Angela kicked Ellie out. Now, after getting kicked out, Ellie's father, Jeff, told her that he and some mysterious professionals had ambushed Ellie in a grocery store parking lot to have her involuntarily admitted to a mental health facility. But he wouldn't allow Ellie to visit her mom, let alone tell her where exactly her mom was. Fast forward to just a few weeks later, and Jeff told Ellie that her mother had suddenly died of a stroke. Ellie was devastated at the news, but even more devastated when her father told her that there would be no funeral. There was no obituary, and she was told later down the line that her mother was cremated by someone or someplace that her father also couldn't remember the name of. The worst of all, though, was the secret that Ellie was asked to keep. She was told not to tell Angela's family that she had died. But by February of 2020, she was done keeping secrets. Ellie broke down and called her aunt, her mother's sister, and told her the news. Her sister couldn't believe that Angela had died eight months prior and her brother-in-law had yet to tell her. Something obviously smelled off, so Ellie, her aunt, and her aunt's daughter set out to find out anything they could about Angela's death, starting with her death certificate. It would have told them where Angela died and how she died. The only problem was the death certificate didn't exist. And since you need to provide a death certificate in order to have someone cremated, everything that had happened since that night Ellie left the house was now in question, and a missing persons report was filed. In February of 2020, the police went to Jeff's house to ask if he knew where his wife was, And instead of telling them the same story that he'd told Ellie, that she died in July of the previous year from a stroke after being involuntarily admitted into a mental health facility, Jeff told the police that Angela was alive, that she was out with friends and that she'd be back later. Now, because Angela was simply reported as a missing person, naturally the police called Ellie to ask if she knew where her mother was which is when Ellie found out that her father was now saying Angela was alive, and the police were starting to figure out that there was something really strange going on. At this point, the investigation was on and the media was starting to pick up Angela's story. Everyone's natural first thought when they saw the missing persons posters online and the wave of articles was how did no one notice she was missing for eight months? But it wasn't that simple. Ellie was young and she was trusting the words of her father, whom, until now, she had no reason to question. But now, along with the rest of the world, she was questioning everything. As the investigation began rolling, Ellie went down to the police department to talk to them about what she knew about her mother's disappearance. And coincidentally, while she was at the station, her father called. It was perfect timing. 
She answered the phone and hit record, and these recordings have been shared across multiple platforms, including The Vanish Podcast, which I highly recommend, Fox 4, and even The Dr. Phil Show. While on the phone, Jeff admitted to Ellie that he'd made up the entire story about Angela being ambushed in the parking lot and then taken to the mental health facility. He admitted that it had never happened, period. According to the Huffington Post, he told her, I didn't want you to think that she'd run off with some stranger to do something. The truth is, she kind of disappeared. In those recorded phone calls, Jeff claims that Angela left while he was at work one day and that he hasn't seen her since, though he also alludes that this isn't the first time she'd run off before. If we're to believe this story that Angela just ran off with someone, we first have to ask, if she ran away while he was at work, how does he know that she left with someone? It's almost like he wants to add a third person to the story, but there seems to be no way he would know about this third person. If all of this happened while he was at work and Angela didn't leave a note, how would he know about this stranger? And Angela didn't leave a note. I guess he could assume that Angela left with someone because she didn't take her car, but he specifically said some stranger. Not a friend, not a family member, a stranger. So we have to ask again, how does Jeff know that she ran off with a stranger? For all he knows, again, this is if we believe his story, Angela could have saved up cash and gotten a cab. She could have gotten a ride to a bus station or hopped on a plane. But she didn't. And we know this because Angela didn't have a job and she didn't have a bank account. All the money she had access to was Jeff's. And according to Fox 4, Angela's purse, phone, driver's license, keys, and passport were all still at the house. Furthermore, Homeland Security did a check and Angela hadn't traveled anywhere. This is where Jeff's story gets even more wild, though, if that's possible. He totally backtracked in one of his phone calls to Ellie, saying that Angela had been admitted to a mental health facility he just wasn't a part of it, that someone had called him to let him know that it had happened. So first he said he ambushed Angela and had her involuntarily admitted, then he said that wasn't true, and now after telling this elaborate lie, someone allegedly called him to tell him that his lie essentially halfway came true. So let me get this straight. Angela ran off with some stranger without anything she would need to survive, including her makeup, which she would never leave the house without wearing. Then she got admitted into a mental health facility with no contact information, and they knew to call Jeff. Sure, if this was true, she could have given the staff Jeff's phone number to let him know, but if she was running away from him, why would he be on the list of people she wanted called? Even through all of this, Jeff claims that he just can't recall which facility this was. In that call at the police station, Jeff told Ellie that he basically told her all this to protect her from the idea that Angela had run off and not contacted her. But if he simply got a phone call from this mysterious facility that Angela had been admitted, why wouldn't he just tell Ellie that? I mean, if he was just trying to protect her. Wouldn't that make her feel less abandoned and make him less of a villain? If we're to believe that part of this story, and if it's going to come up a lot, certainly this facility would have inquired about his insurance information, right? Because Angela didn't have her purse, wallet, or identification with her, it was all still at the house. 
but it seems that he either forgot about that or forgot to add it to his story. Certainly, the insurance company would know which facility Angela was at, but it's at this point in Angela's story that we should acknowledge that there is no record of Angela having received treatment anywhere. In fact, according to Ellie's appearance on the Dr. Phil show, the last time Angela had been seen by a doctor was when she gave birth to Ellie. Now, in the spirit of mysterious phone calls, we've gotten through the first and we should probably cover the second. According to Fox 4, the next mysterious phone call Jeff got was one informing him that Angela had died of a stroke. Jeff said it was a terrible shock and just devastating. But wasn't he too busy at work to even remember the name of the facility she died at? After the call he claims to have gotten informing him of Angela's alleged stroke, the story seems to skip some steps and jump right into someone calling him to tell him that Angela was being cremated and that they were going to swing by and pick up the money for it. The problem here is that hospitals don't choose which funeral home a deceased patient goes to. Their next of kin would determine that. There's even a transportation fee on a lot of the price lists for funeral homes in the area. The next problem is what we discussed in our last episode, that Jeff would have had to have made the decision as to whether or not Angela was going to be buried or cremated. The hospital, nor the funeral home, would have legally been able to make that decision without him. Jeff claims that he purchased an urn and, according to Fox 4, said that some mysterious white man in his 40s came by, picked up the money, picked up the urn, and then later dropped the urn back off to him. Throughout this entire process, Jeff's story doesn't involve him making a single decision, signing a single piece of paper, or even having to leave his house, but it involves a healthcare facility and a funeral home. From mid-February to March, things got really weird, and I'm talking next-level weird. Jeff took on a whole new theory that maybe all of this was a lie and that he had been duped, that maybe Angela had arranged it all. Why, you ask? He claims in one phone call that maybe it was to make him feel bad. Feel bad for what? Jeff claims that he never even considered that all of this was made up until Ellie told him that there was no death certificate. But according to Ellie, Jeff had already told her that there was a death certificate before she went out and tried to get a copy for herself. He additionally claims in one of these recorded phone calls that strange things have been happening in the house and that maybe, just maybe, you guys, she's been coming into the house when he's not there you know, just to mess with him. Because if she came into the house, she wasn't getting her ID, passport, or purse, you know, the things she would actually need. No, he was saying he saw a drawer that was open that he surely hadn't left open. Oh, and he was finding things in places that he insisted he didn't leave there. You know that meme that went around that was like, Okay, you're a burglar. You're not here to steal anything. You're just here to inconvenience people. What do you do? And people write things like unscrew all the knobs on the cabinets and hide all the toilet paper. Jeff was essentially saying that it's possible Angela was doing that. And somehow she was doing it without a vehicle to get there, without a key, without knowing the garage door code, and without the police or any neighbors noticing that the woman everyone was trying to find is somehow getting into the house while he's at work just to mess with him. Of all of these wacky ass stories Jeff tells, Ellie has one consistent question. 
Even if all of these stories are true, which let's be honest, if he believes all of his own stories, which would defy space, time, and logic, that still means that his wife is missing. So why isn't he out there searching for her? In a recorded call provided by Fox 4, Jeff says, I don't know, you keep coming up with talking to these people, hiring these people, going here, doing this, and I tell you that she's left and I'm not happy about that. She's an adult and if she decides to leave, fine, she can leave. She comes back, we'll talk about her coming back, but I don't want her back the way she was. Okay, so we're settling on her running off on her own free will, but still holding on to the idea that she was having some type of mental break and that she might have actually needed a mental health facility and that he doesn't want her back until her mental health issues have been addressed. Got it. About a month goes by where everyone waits and wonders what the police are going to do. I mean, what can they do? What evidence is there? You've got one guy saying that his wife was out with friends and that she'd be back, and you have his daughter with receipts, screenshots, and witnesses to prove that he's been telling people for eight months that the woman he says is alive and out with her friends is dead and has been dead for three-fourths of a year. Law enforcement right out of the gate were telling the media that they were getting conflicting statements and that it was concerning for them. I mean, Angela never did come home after he told the police that she would. But he changed his story with Ellie, saying that she was still alive, possibly, and that she'd run off with a friend, and that he only told her all of that to essentially protect her from getting her heart broken. But then you have the fact that he says the calls about her death and the whole cremation deal was real. But now he also questions whether even that was real because Ellie couldn't find a death certificate. A death certificate that he claimed to have a copy of until Ellie told him that there wasn't one. The statements we know he gave police aren't necessarily the conflicting ones. The conflict comes when you piece together every single person he's told a story to, which is technically part of the investigation, which enters some kind of weird gray area of what the police have to work with. Was he lying to the police, or was he lying to everyone else, or both? And what could law enforcement do about it? Well... On March 11, 2020, KSHB reports that they showed up with the Olathe Police Department, the Overland Park Police Department, the Leewood Police Department, the Johnson County Crime Lab, the Johnson County DA, and the Johnson County Medical Examiner with two search warrants in hand. There were at least 70 officers along with police cadets who were still training in the academy, and that's not uncommon when there's a lot of ground to be searched. This wasn't one of those searches where they were just doing their best with the resources available to this six-square-mile town. No, they brought in anyone and everyone they could, including the district attorney and the medical examiner. From the outside looking in, it looked like they were on a mission to find something. Angela. And they were prepared if they did. KSHB said that they called the search a fact-finding mission. Their warrant for Jeff and Angela's home included the house, the vehicles, and the backyard. And the warrant for the storage unit, which was across town, included the secluded wooded area off the road all the way back to a pond it backed up to. Oh, and inside that pond as well. 
Jeff was taken off the property and according to that Dateline episode, sat at the police station and didn't say a single word. He just sat there while law enforcement went to work. In some of the photos from Fox 4, it looks like the police were covering the windows that looked into the house. We saw this in the Harley Dilly case when they didn't want the media to be able to see in what they found if they did find anything. This is also sometimes done with luminol testing so they have a dark area to work with. The events of that day were detailed in different parts by different local and national media outlets. 41 Action News reports that police blocked off the road, set up a perimeter around the property with police tape, and a tent was set up in the backyard. KCTV reports that police were seen wearing gloves and carrying rakes, buckets, and evidence bags into the backyard, while the Huffington Post spoke to a neighbor who physically saw the digging taking place. Ellie has told various outlets that it was devastating to see her childhood home be torn apart, looking for her mother or any signs of what might have happened to her or where she might have gone. Cadaver dogs searched throughout both properties and divers scoured the pond, dozens and dozens of divers, but they didn't find Angela. And while they didn't find Angela, they did find something strange. During the search of Angela and Jeff's home, police did find that urn Jeff claimed to have purchased and given to the mysterious white man in his 40s who returned it after the alleged cremation. The problem was, the urn was empty. Angela was not in it. Nothing was in it. It had been purchased around the time he told Ellie that Angela had died, and around the same time he claimed to have had Angela's body cremated. The results of these searches were ultimately disappointing to everyone involved and, if anything, just kind of added more mystery to Angela's disappearance. Jeff had bought an urn, but if his story was true, which would mean that there were some serious flaws in a lot of highly regulated fields, he didn't seem to notice that the urn he got back was the same weight as the one he had given them. According to Martin Oaks Cemetery and Crematory, the weight of a person's ashes following cremation is generally 3.5% of your weight. If Angela was 116 pounds, as her missing persons poster reports, the empty red urn found in his home should have weighed around 4 pounds more than when he gave it to them. In one of the last phone calls Fox 4 had transcribed, which I'm going to link in her highlight for you, Ellie talks to her father about beneficiary paperwork. Beneficiary paperwork for her mother. Ellie was asking her father why he made her forge her mother's signature on Angela's beneficiary paperwork. He says in this phone call that there wasn't a beneficiary on Angela's account and says that if something happened, another person would be able to go in and kind of take care of the account or the money would go to their person, and they wouldn't have to go through the court system because that's always a big payment, but costs a lot of money and takes a lot of time. So I wanted to make sure someone could get to the money quickly and easily to pay the bills and wouldn't be a problem with money for a couple of months for rent and school expenses and insurance and other payments that have to get made. And while those are definitely all words, it's also some of the most manipulative bullshit I've ever heard. Ellie was asked to sign her mother's name. She had to forge her mother's signature. She didn't sign her own. A beneficiary is a life insurance document, meaning the money only exists if someone dies. 
Angela had not worked since Ellie was born. Jeff's finances would not have changed when and if she ran off while he was at work. And he certainly hadn't filed her death with the life insurance company if he was having Ellie forge Angela's signature two months after he told Ellie that Angela had died of a stroke. So why all of a sudden was he worried about rent and school expenses and whatever else? And if Angela had simply run away, why was he all of a sudden deciding to add a beneficiary to her life insurance without her consent and asking her own daughter to forge her signature? When Ellie asked him why he'd asked her to do something that was very clearly illegal, he literally said, I could have forged your signature or you could have forged her signature. What? How are those the only options? We're talking about Angela's signature being forged and why Ellie had to do it instead of doing it himself, essentially making her complicit in the act. And he's acting like the only options here were that Ellie forge her mom's signature or Jeff forge Ellie's signature. First of all, no one is even talking about Ellie's signature. And second of all, there was another option. He could have forged Angela's signature without involving his daughter in something illegal, which was Ellie's point in bringing this up in the first place. It should also be noted that there was another option. He could have asked no one to forge Angela's signature. It could have literally never been an option. According to the missing Angela Green Facebook account, Jeff's phone records were combed through, but nothing useful regarding his locations around the time Angela's disappearance was found. However, they do note that according to Ellie, it wasn't uncommon for Jeff to leave his phone at home when he left the house. Police did try to look over traffic camera footage and any CCTV footage that they could find, but because Angela wasn't reported missing until eight months after she was last seen, all video footage had been taped over at that point. The Facebook page goes on to say something that I think is one of the most eyebrow-raising, side-eye-inducing pieces of this case. According to them, police did talk to Jeff's co-workers, and they said that they were told that Jeff would be gone for a couple of days because his in-laws were in town, which was complete bullshit. Angela's family had not flown in from China, and they hadn't since the early 2000s. To this day, Angela has not been found. According to the Vanished podcast, Jeff has hired a criminal defense attorney and refuses to speak with police. Ellie has still not heard from her mother, and there have been no sightings of her anywhere. Jeff maintains that he did nothing to Angela and that he doesn't know where she is. Angela's case is still considered a missing persons investigation, and no one, I repeat, no one, has ever been publicly named a suspect or even a person of interest. In October of 2020, Fox 4 spoke to a retired FBI special agent in charge and asked them what they thought about Angela's disappearance. And the FBI agent told Fox 4 that he believes it's unlikely Angela is alive, based on the fact that there has been no sign of her since July of 2019. Though he does note that there are instances where people show back up, though they're rare. He notes that in order for the case to progress, law enforcement has to have physical evidence, saying it has to be more than I don't like his reaction. The FBI agent told Fox 4 that he wouldn't dare say that Jeff did it or that there isn't another possible explanation without evidence. Just this past week, Ellie made a post to Instagram expressing the following. 
Mom, I hope you're proud of the person I've become. Two years ago today, I learned that you would never be a part of my life again. Since then, I've been kinder, more forgiving, and I'm not scared of much anymore. I see myself in you from taking a million pictures of the little things to the gifts I make. You learn that there isn't any point besides being nice to people and that your love is never wasted. You learn that you can create your family. It doesn't have to be what you're born into. You learn that there will be haters, people who think I should just get over it, and people who think you should be miserable from what you've been through. But for as many insensitive people there are, there are a lot of good people too. You learn to deal with all of it and still love life and yourself. I rarely have anxiety anymore, and I've accepted that you want me to keep living with or without you, but it took therapy every week and took medication for a while. For anyone out there, please don't give up. I know I never will. Sarah Turney, who has the Voices for Justice podcast, set up a GoFundMe account for Ellie to help her cover tuition and living expenses, as well as travel expenses to see her mother's family while she fights for answers as to what truly happened to her mother after that night in June of 2019. I'll link that for you in her highlight. If you have any information as to what happened to Angela Green, no matter how big or small, please contact the Prairie Village Police Department at 913-642-6868. If you'd like to remain anonymous, you can contact Crime Stoppers at 816-474-TIPS, TIPS being 8477. Ellie and the rest of Angela's family deserves to know what happened. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. For all photos pertaining to this case, check out Angela's highlight at the top of my Instagram profile at the Heather Ashley. And join me there tonight at 9 p.m. Eastern, where you go live with me and we talk about this case. If you like your podcast ad-free, head over to our Patreon at patreon.com slash bigmadtruecrime, or for just one whole dollar a month, your episodes are totally ad-free. If you need more episodes in your life, for just $5 a month, you get a bonus episode on the first Monday of every month, all your episodes are ad-free, and you'll also receive a forever discount code for all Big Mad True Crime merch, and of course, anytime you sign up, you get instant access to all previous bonus episodes. I'll be bringing you a brand new case a week from today, and I cannot wait. But until then, we out. Ugh.
Well, have a drink. Ah, oh, makes my mouth water. I'm hyper aware of my mouth. Sorry, I hit the mic. I don't know if that changed anything. Oh, fuck me. Fucking dancy hands. Dancy hands hitting the mic. And while those are definitely all words, I hit the fucking mic again. Oh, those are definitely all words. They're all words. They don't make sense. Included the secluded, wooded. I always pick words that start with the same consonant. People be picking pickles. <laughs> Annunciation. Pronunciation. No one expects you to be perfect. Dun 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 dun